A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 272, Understanding and Valuing Your Organization's Data. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Lauren Cassio, Chief Fish Wrangler, and Chris Enzi, CTO, both at Gulp Data. If you can't tell from a title like Chief Fish Wrangler, this one, we're all a little bit more relaxed, you might say. So what are some key takeaways or thoughts from Lauren and Chris's point of view? Number one, potentially controversial. Many organizations have an incorrect perspective about their data, that they mostly have a single type of data that's useful for each use case or need. Typically, their data is useful for many more internal use cases and is also useful to organizations in far different industries than their own. Number two, often there is a lack of a data sharing culture in many organizations, there isn't anyone that really understands how data flows throughout the organization or especially how it could flow to serve those kind of many untapped use cases. Number three, there are many people emotionally attached to owning their own data, but not in the product sense. They're focused on maintaining control rather than structuring it to be shared. So there are organizational challenges to data sharing in, in addition to the technology. You know, this comes up in a lot of ways, but I don't think we've talked as much about the people not wanting to share their data as much as people not wanting to take on the work of sharing their data. So that we're still even trying to get over that, that hump as well. Number four, many organizations have a tough time justifying updating their data infrastructure, their platforms or things like that, leading to more and more challenges with progressing their data journey. You know, that more and more tech debt that kind of builds up. 
it's often hard to point to a tangible ROI on updating that that data platform, for instance. Number five, far too often companies and lines of business know they want to analyze some information, but they don't really know what they are analyzing it for. Instead of shaping data to make specific decisions, there's a focus on the visualization without a clear action in mind once the data tells them something. So, you know, Brent Sykes kind of talks about this too. So drive towards what you care about and use data to answer those questions. The data doesn't really speak for itself. Number six, your upper management has limited patience and a limited attention span. Focus on what matters to them and be crisp on delivering an outcome with data, not outputs. They don't care about, you you know, the, that you're creating a data product versus the value that data product's going to create. A dashboard is just a pretty picture unless it drives action and creates insights. Number seven, potentially controversial. It's often easier to get funding to prepare your data for external sale than investing in internal use cases. The same reason or the simple reason is tangible return on investment. Look to frame your internal investments in data in the same way if you can. Number eight, find ways to open more communication about what data you have internally. You will be surprised by the number of new use cases emerging by just sharing what data you have, not even what data that is prepared and cleaned, right? There's so much untapped data internally that people would use if they only knew about it and could easily, again, use it. Number nine, many organizations aren't really thinking of the value of their data and how they actually protect it. That's a little bit of that kind of, we have built up uh, a large asset and we have to protect that. So, you know, there can be data value hoarding, but it's still in that same realm of you need to think about how to protect this. You know, if the data is so valuable to your organization, what kind of investment are you making in security and compliance around protecting it? Number 10, I think this one really is quite controversial. People's personal data getting shared, at least with a little modicum of regulatory insight, oversight, is for the greater good, such as more patient data to help fight disease or more financial information to help unbanked people get access to credit and capital. You know, so much of our data is out there already. Or and Chris just think, eh, that's that's better than trying to everybody lock down as much as they can. And finally, number eleven, if an organization wants to understand their overall data landscape, the best way to start is simply by starting, and also having an end purpose in mind. Essentially, get conversations going, and know why you are trying to understand your data. Is it to unlock new use cases, save costs, sell your data, etc.? Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Chris Enzi here and Laura, Lauren Cassio. 
um, from Gulp Data. And so uh, Chris is a CTO and Lauren is the chief fish wrangler uh, because Gulp Data has, you know, kind of a whole thing of, about fish and everything like that. So in case you couldn't tell, we're, we're probably going to be a little bit, uh, um, I don't know if punchy is the right word or a little bit sassy, but uh, we're, we're going to have some fun on, on today's episode. Um, so Gulp, the reason why I reached out to them specifically, you know, I, I typically don't have vendors on for a number of reasons, but I saw what they were doing and I thought it was really, really fascinating. They're doing um, kind of this thing of assessing what data companies have, what is the value of that, and then even lending against that data. And so we're going to talk about how do you go in and think about how do you, how would you internally assess your data state? Because they're going in and helping companies do that. And now companies are starting to just <laughs> want that rather than necessarily doing the lending. You know, some of the lending happens, sometimes it doesn't. But like, how do you figure out what the heck you have? Where do people go wrong? How do you think about this internal versus external monetization? I know a lot of people with data products were like, oh, it's to sell data. Like when you think of data as a product, it's only to sell data, but that internal monetization is really crucial. So we're just going to talk about a whole lot of things because I thought this was just such a fascinating company um, to even look into. So, but before we get into that, uh, Lauren, Chris, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can jump into the conversation at the end. Sure. Uh, I'm Lauren. I won't give the silly title again. Uh, one of the founding partners at Gulp Data uh, prior to that worked in data monetization and founded other companies. Um, I'm based actually in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where I know the three partners at Gulp, including Chris, who's with us today. Um, a lot of my career, I have spent uh, fascinated by data and the ability to turn it into this uh, revenue generating asset. Um, personally, I have three kids um, and they keep me busy when I'm not uh, making fish puns at Gulp. And I, I'm Chris Enzi, um, been an entrepreneur and, and been around data and enterprise products my whole career. So uh, when I met Lauren, she was talking about how data could be leveraged as an asset and how important that was to other businesses she'd be involved in. And I'd actually been on the other side of the table where I wasn't monetizing data. I was actually acquiring data to create other products. And we had a, a, a lot of uh, similar perspectives on that when we first got together. And then our other partners joined in and it became Gulp. But um I'm I'm a tech guy and and love big problems, solving big problems that involve lots of data and lots of processing pipelines. So this is a very fun project and 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 an effort for me. Yeah, and I think that hearing from your your backgrounds and stuff, I'd love to hear how you think about going into companies and thinking about okay, I'm agnostic to what space they're in. How do you think about that? Like. There is value in the the information that you have internally in the data, but also, you know, uh, there, this life sciences company is very different from this financial services company. And then we can get into all the fun regulatory stuff as well. But like, how do you think about going in and and just even that that first, you know, 30 seconds or first 30 minutes or first, you know, two days or whatever of assessment of like, starting to get your arms around it because a lot of people are in these older companies that have data absolutely everywhere and they don't know what data they have and they don't know where it is and they don't know exactly how it's being used. 
I think that people come into it normally with the, I don't want to say the wrong perspective, but probably this incorrect perspective that I have a single type of data or I have a single type of data that's suitable for these like single use cases that I believe to be true in like this box that I live in. And let's use the example of older companies that have been operating for decades um, that have silos of data all over the place. The reality is that you're coming in and you need to have an agnostic look at the possibilities because they're going to have data that's useful internally and that's useful externally to all different types of parties across all different industries, even outside of their own. Um, and so I, I think that's an important piece to take away because we do. We, we think I'm a clinical data company, and so I only have clinical insights that are useful for these types of end users or maybe internally or maybe our own population. Um, but we ignore that we also collect you know, financial transactions that might be useful to a, a totally different segment of the market. Um, so there's that. I think recognizing that you need to do a full roundup of everything that you have uh, to to understand, you know, the art of the possibility. And Chris, uh, is there anything you wanted to add that any different color there? Yeah, it, it, the the opportunities assessing your own data product projects and and data silos usually is about culture inside organizations. And I think a lot of people lose the idea that like this is a you know, a, a, a liquid asset that kind of flows in and out of different parts of the business and can actually add value in different ways. And, you know, to Lauren's point, there is not one view of this. There's, there's ways organizations can like tap into resources within the same company, gain insights that the same data may be serving completely different uses to another party within the company. So I, I think when we start talking to people we work with and other, other companies we do uh, business with, um, they're just like, oh, okay, we have this data. We only really, we only think it's ever going to be useful to somebody in this capacity. And, and it's hundred percent correct that when we look at the entire landscape of data that's out there, people are bending it in so many interesting ways. Um, you know, sort of taking one asset like mobile ad data and using it for like the purposes of cybersecurity. Um, you know, there's this insight and like ability to fuse data and find nuance to it and interconnections to it from one data set to another that is becoming very common in the way people are actually trading, using and, and using data and rich other you know, data sets. That stuff is, we're just starting to see the, the, the potential there, especially with like machine learning and other tools that are coming to more common, uh, use. So we look for those opportunities a lot. When when you're thinking about this, are you being, uh, I mean, we could talk a little bit about the business aspect of what what's actually going on with you, but like the concept wise, I would think that sometimes this is a domain or a line of business that is saying, hey, we want to do this. And so then if you're coming from that bottom up, then you're, it's harder to find those those dots across. Like, does this have to be somebody that has that top down or does it have to be somebody that that can kind of come in and ask the stupid questions, right? That that external party, because, you know, I, I find this a lot with the stuff I talk about data mesh is that I, I'm happy to ask the questions that 
make me look not smart because I don't, I don't, I don't have to care about that, that perception versus internally, somebody might be like, how could we reuse this data? And they're, they're not able to connect those dots. Are you finding that there are people internally that, that can, and there's just, again, that culture issue that Chris, you just talked about, or like, what, what do you think are the impediments there? Lauren, I don't know. Do you want to go first? I think Chris will have more to add here because I, so I have a different perspective. I have um, some of it on the business side, but I think what you're asking are like technical. Um, and so I think we have very different perspectives on this. I, I kind of am asking it from the business side, like, because uh, like, is that business culture? Yeah. I, I think the technical side is exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, I mean, on the technical side, it's, it's once somebody puts data into a database or data, like they're like, oh, this is mine. And that kind of administrative control and governance is is really where the problems start to stem from. They're like, oh, we don't want to touch this with anybody else like touching it because it's, you know, this this precious asset. And it's amazing how committed to emotional uh, ownership people are with data. I never would have like expected that, but as, as we've been working in and out of these spaces that we work in, you find that how how, how reliant people are on the fact that it's organize the way they want it. It serves the purpose they want it to serve. And it's a precious component of their business and the assets underneath it. So I think the tech crossover, like the tech is sort of like the impediment wall, but the culture and the business side of it almost like reinforces it as well. So I, I, I think there's both elements. Um, people that want to actually get benefit from data are never inside of even large organizations and, and also small to some degree um, as willing to just open the doors to that. Uh, it's starting to get better because people are like driving data sharing initiatives inside of entities and enterprises. They're trying to see it happen between constituents in adjacent markets where they're sharing information, but it's still not the natural flow for people as they think about like, what can I do useful with data? How can I enrich it? How can I benefit from it in other capacity? I think the other piece here is that you have internal bureaucracy. The larger the organization, the worse it is. And the decision makers oftentimes won't make the decision to invest in updating, upgrading their infrastructure to allow them to progress along a data journey, whether that's for internal use cases or external. And the reason is because they rarely have a tangible ROI in mind, right? Like that that can that a, a CTO or a CDO can come to them and say, yeah, this is this is what the RI is gonna look like. And so they just, you know, cast it off and they're like, okay, well, this is just, you know, a risk, a compliance risk. It's uh, you know, engineering, like more engineering debt. Uh, it's an additional cost center for the company and we're uninterested. Just like keep it secure, keep it siloed, lock it away, and like we we own this, but we're not using it. And so to get that buy-in, you have to make a real case, right? Like a CDO has to come and make a real case to the board um, or to the executives uh, responsible for allocating budget and say, yeah, this is, you know, this is the type of return we can expect. These are the possibilities with what we have, um, you know, captured as part of offering our services. Uh, and so I think that's that's probably one of the largest gaps we've seen. It was my own personal experience too before, um, like, you know, founding Gulp with the team um, was lack of buy in, even after it was a revenue generating asset. 
Yeah, I think that culture aspect and that, you know, we just had a, a, a panel recording and um, Amy Toby was talking about so many companies are still just seeing data as IT, IT support. And that it's it's there to support the business. It's there to help the business out, but it isn't the thing. It isn't the actual value generator. It isn't the thing that that drives forward the business. It's merely helping to inform the business. And so if you're in that mode, it becomes very difficult to to even tell those stories. And I know there's a lot about data storytelling, but exactly what you're talking about of um, even updating the platform, it is hard to say what is the tangible ROI on that because there isn't an actual tangible ROI unless the people that would leverage it would tell you what the tangible ROI is. Hey, <laughs> wouldn't it be better if you could do this in a performant way or in a scalable way or in a reliable way? And, and I think Data Mesh is trying to, to infuse that product thinking so that people aren't so protective of like what Chris was saying of, of their own data. This is mine. Um, and it's like, it's, it's, you know, somewhat, it's like trying to teach the, the, the four or five-year-old to share their cookie, right? Like, it's like, Hey, wouldn't this be better? Wouldn't this generate way more friendship? You might get some of their, their cookie too. And you can, you know, both split cookies and get two different types or whatever. And like trying to explain that, that, you know, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but at the same point, like it's against human nature in a lot of ways of, I have, I have put in the effort. I have built this. I don't want anybody else spoiling it versus how do I, how do I build a culture that's so focused on sharing and, and, and growing through that. So like when you're going into this and you're starting to have these conversations, have you talked to people that have tried to do this in the past and that's why they're bringing you in or is it they just realize that or is it kind of across the gamut and it's like i'm trying to figure out where where people have have gone wrong you know i don't want you to give us 100% of your secret sauce but like where do you think people are are typically going wrong chris go ahead yeah it's uh, so it's interesting i've been in, involved in a lot of different companies in my career and like every time i've been involved in a you know big database project where Company like, all right, we're going to start enabling dashboards and we're going to take our data and use it for intelligence and turn that into like all these new things that we want to derive from it, these insights into our business to improve performance. The thing they absolutely never start with or never have the advantage of starting with is what products could be even derived from the data. They're going into this initiative with like no idea what the end goal is. They want to get it in dashboards, they want to sort of get the data on something visual. And they all know that they want to do that. And once they do it, they're like, it's pretty. Now what? And the fact of the matter is the dashboards are like, here's how much data we collected. Here's how many of this widget or thing we know about. Like, here's where these things are. Like, these are like this like fundamental, like to your, your comment earlier, it's like the four-year-old equivalent of like how to interpret data intelligence. It's never, we have goals in mind. And here's you know, the products we want to generate because they're going to inform us of how to build the data project to get to that end and to then achieve an outcome that's contributing to an improvement of some kind in business, whether that's top line revenue, kind of cost, improving speed to delivery, customer sat, whatever it is. That's the thing I continuously see. And I think people just are looking to try to get shortcuts to go from, I've got a bunch of data. 
And I think I understand what that data could mean to me or where there's opportunity, but I don't know what I want to achieve. I, I bring up the South Park underpants gnomes where their, their business plan was step one, steal underwear, step two, question marks, step three, profit. And that, that's how I feel like we, we know that there's hidden value in this, but I think exactly that, that how do you unlock what that value could be? Well, you kind of have to think about what are we like? These, these data strategies that aren't tied to the business strategy, but why? Like that one is is where people are willing to put more funding to, but two, like that's what the business is trying to do. So how can the the data not just support that, but how can it be the integral part to that? I think is is really important. But Lauren, I want to give you space as well to react there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it just comes down to um, handing companies the playbook. So oftentimes, and it doesn't make sense to begin to go down the data journey, and Chris calls it building dashboards, but that's part of the data journey. Um, it doesn't make sense to go down that path until you know exactly what you want. Like, do I want to improve business processes? Do I want to improve conversion rates of a certain, con- you know, of a, of a certain um, business segment? Uh, do I want to begin to offer buy-up services to existing clients? Do I want to turn the byproduct of our of our business data assets into an externally consumable product that I'm going to sell for cash, right, to other companies that can benefit from it, whether they're competitors or vendors? Um, and so you need to have you need to have those decisions made before you start spending money on transforming data because it's not that simple. It's not like I want to implement a BI tool and you just go and like take your data lake and implement a BI tool. You have to do normalization and standardization and um, and and data mapping and you have to bring different data centers together. Um, and so it is it's costly, it's time consuming and it's a real commitment. You need buy in. And we so this this is just from experience. I'm going to share an anecdote. One of the things that we've seen um, is very successful is building out the playbook for these companies. So we don't focus. Um, talk just a second about Gulp. At Gulp, we don't focus on internal use cases so much. We focus really on external use cases for data value. And so what we do is we actually run the assets, whether they're siloed or not. And we create a, a landscape of what data products look like and show them this is your high value data that has high marketability. This is your high quality data. This is your low quality data. This is how you can enrich it. So this is the data you collect. This is the data you should be collecting that's complementary. And here's who would be buying it. And with this playbook, essentially, you're going to get executive buy-in or board buy-in to now move on this journey. Granted, it passed, you know, the uh, compliance and, you know, regulatory aspects of the business. Usually it does. They have some questions, of course, lawyers. Uh, sorry to any lawyers listening. I love lawyers. Um, but yeah, you see that, but that's like the real way to get, you know, to get past these hurdles is not just to start throwing data into, you know, hiring um, database admins and like throwing data into dashboards because, You'll have a, a whole lot of insights and nothing to do with it. You need like tangible exercises. And are, are you seeing when you're going through this, like, are you unlocking any of that stuff for the internal side too, where you go, hey, like we've found these 15 different places. You should go do something with this. We're not as focused on this. But like, I, and I kind of get what you're saying is that 
if you say, hey, or if you invest in these five things, you'll be able to directly monetize this. So you do have the, this is your exact investment. Here's your return versus that internal, like the return is how much the people who actually have the use case say it was worth, right? And so it's like, okay, we're, we're trying to go into a new market or we're considering going into a new market. We need to do the investigation if this is a good market. We found out it was a bad market and we don't want to go into it. What was that worth, right? I have no idea how to value that. It's all this time and money that you would have spent going after this thing that wasn't worth it. Are you finding that when you talk to your clients or are you not even kind of asking this maybe, but like, are you finding that they're, once they start to understand what they could be monetizing externally, they start to be a little bit better, more cohesive internally because they're starting to go, hey, what do you mean we have this data? What do you mean we could build this for somebody externally? I want that internally. Like, I want to buy that data internally. How do I do that? Is is that a conversation that you're seeing kind of happen? Exactly. That's the, um, it's, you know, providing these insights is kind of the eye opener for the team to be more receptive to how they could transform their businesses internally using insights that already exist within their own walls. That That's exactly it. Now, of course, we don't focus on that, but it's certainly a byproduct. Yeah. And also, the the, 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 once you show people like this is the value you've created internally, the doors kind of open up and in, in, internally as well. Like, and they're like, okay, now what, what can we do now? Like, what, what can we do with this, like, this awesomeness that the data team and the engineering team, the business team that built, that collected that information? created a, a repository of all this activity and, and business operations information that was pulled into these databases. Now that they kind of better understand or can reflect and appreciate that value, the conversation about having the opportunity to do more with it becomes a lot easier. And I think that's, we, we hear a lot of the, like, you know, this, this type of analysis enabled us to go up the management chain and present a story or a vision for what, the next six steps forward are going to be. I mean, in data mesh is a lot about that kind of creating this big set of data for people to consume from, right? Like it's it's about creating it's about creating a something that is greater than the you know the whole is is greater than the sum of the parts, and that's kind of how data works because you provide more and more leverage to each other, and there's a reason these companies exist as they exist, right? Like. You don't just, hopefully you don't just have a whole bunch of random businesses that are kind of thrown together under one roof. So if they actually could share information with each other, then there's that that additional uh, leverage and, and, and value. But I, I, I kind of want to go back to that idea about understanding the external monetization. This was something that a lot of people early in the data mesh side said, like, you're, you're, what you really want to do is become a data company. Every company should become a company that is selling their data. And then it, you, you get into those kind of somewhat regulatory, but also, um, you know, do you become Facebook and you're sucking in as much data as you can about people literally to just sell it rather than to deliver a better product? It's to monetize that money. Are, are you feeling that that same conversation happens or like, how are you helping people to understand that they should still be focused on their business, even if they're able to monetize the information that's also going to be helpful for them. Like, how do you have that conversation with them? I think one of the pieces that is clearly 
and advantages. A lot of businesses that are high revenue, but very low margin are sitting on that. They do a lot of volume are sitting on a disruptive amount of data. And if they can see value that, that can be derived from that historical uh, archive of data that they've built up over years of performance, but they are like a single digit margin kind of company, any value derived from that data as another line of revenue can be transformational, especially when it's compared to the total top line of the company and the market cap of the company. So a lot of times it's as simple as that. Um, the other side of this, which is a completely other side of the coin from a risk manager perspective is, is something that we have been thinking about, but haven't, you know, we're, we're not actively out there, you know, doing stuff like this, but like using these types of assessments and discovery processes to then measure like value at risk can also work on the other side of the equation where it's saying, okay, now I have this list of assets. I've got this, you know, you know, this, this, uh, treasure here that I need to protect it enabled to quantify the risk that you're managing and then do things like investing compliance and security and information technology to protect it. And I think a lot of times people completely overlook that side of it. And on the other side of the large organizations with, you know, these low margin companies that could data could really be transformational for them, you have uh, earlier stage companies and I would encourage earlier stage companies to stay focused on the product market fit and let this be a secondary or tertiary form of revenue. Because if you can't find product market fit and you can't get users or B2B um, companies to use your you know, product, you're not going to generate any data. So you need product market fit. You need significant traction. Um, before you know, you can become an important player in in data markets, um, and so I I do kind of giggle at that sometimes when companies are in startup mode and they don't even have a product yet, and they're like, "Yeah, we're just going to be a data company," and that's great. You know, you should keep that in mind as you build out your infrastructure, but um, it's not really, you know, the core focus, and it shouldn't be. If you're a good founder and you're running a lean operation, then you're focused on your core you know, your core offering and, and this will follow. Um, but it can only follow if you have like, you know, proper infrastructure in place. Larger companies that Chris was talking about didn't build with having data revenue streams in mind. <laughs> and so data is everywhere and it takes some work to get it uh, to identify what's high value, uh, highly marketable, and then act on that. I mean, and, and something, Chris, that you were talking about a little bit there about the risk, there's a value at risk of if, you know, we need to we need to create this or we need to keep this at a high value. This is why, you know, Data Mesh focuses so much on data products instead of data assets, because assets are something that are constantly, uh, you know, you need maintenance and you need to constantly um, keep them from deteriorating versus products are about like continuing to evolve and add value to and all that stuff. It's just a you know conceptual thing. It's not really anything that uh, uh, fundamentally differentiates them except for mindset. But one thing that we've seen is is um, especially talking to uh, Catherine Jarmel, 
who's you know very focused on privacy engineering and things like that. Once you start to combine this data, right, you may have something that you've done and you've anonymized the data. And then you combine it with like two or three other data sets and all of a sudden it's de-anonymized, right? And you can probably have the same thing when people are selling externally. So like, how do you think about making sure that they're like, are, are you tracing the the actual usage in are you are you selling only the insights rather than the data itself you know that's been something that some data markets are 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 moving more towards because otherwise you know you can combine this with multiple data sets and all of a sudden you know um i was talking with somebody about uh you know if you're talking healthcare if you have three different relatively unique diagnoses and I know what state you're in. I know exactly who that is, right? I know I can just de-anonymize those. And even if you've had um, anonymized data in all the data sets that you put together or um, somebody was talking about, you know, securitizing student loans and like saying who are the actual people in this and, uh, you know, or, or what is the profile of the person that has this loan. And there's only one person that has that PhD from that university in the last five years. So you know who that actual person is. <laughs> Right. So like, how do you think about that, that risk, especially externally, but like talking to them? I know, I know it's a very convoluted question, but like when you're going into people, are they, are they kind of getting the dollar signs in their eyes or are they keeping that, that focus and going like, Hey, let's, let's go. I mean, Lauren, you talked about the lawyers, you love the lawyers, but um, are, are, are they, are they putting the, the proper guardrails in place or are people kind of, trying to to shift a little too far like how do you think about that conversation i like to flip the script here and talk about all of the good that can come out of um out of data monetization or data aggregation and i'm not sure maybe it's you know the large marketing and media companies and some of the incidents that have happened where you know data sharing, um, data monetization has gotten a really bad rep, but there are so many, there's so much good that comes out of this. Let's use overregulation as an example, like in GDPR, where companies who want to innovate uh, have to actually seek out data subjects outside of their own geography um, because the regulations are too strict for them to be able to operate. Now, is this a good thing? Well, you know, the population has this like a little, you know, false sense of security about what data can be, what data of theirs can be shared. Um, but what has happened is you can't, let's use um, healthcare and financial services. These are because they're very regulated and two of my favorite to talk about. Well, let's talk about all the good about being able to incorporate AI and machine learning into um, predicting disease. And you can't do that without aggregated large cohorts of patient data. Or if we are trying to underwrite somebody who a bank cannot deem credit worthy because they don't have a long enough credit history, we have alternative data points that would allow us to deem that person credit worthy. And now a person who's unbanked can uh, secure a personal loan or business loan for the first time. These are things that could not happen without the exchange of data assets or data products. Um, and so I like to preface the whole talk that I'm sure we're about to go into on, on compliance and regulation with that, because it's not a free for all. 
this is not a black market for people's credit card numbers and um, and patient records, you know, so we can um, uh, ransom them into giving us crypto like that. That's not what the data markets are. You know, they are are are, are regulated ethical exchanges typically. And I know that there are some use cases in marketing that have, you know, caught the headlines and people you know, I think that's really what they've now equated to all data exchange. So there's my piece. <laughs> I, I think uh, there's something to be said for the protection of individual privacy. I'm 100% for all of that. There's a lot of things that companies have obligations to do to ensure that people's private details are private. And that needs to be protected. Um, there's so much willingness though, to leverage this information for growth, building new things, making people's lives better. The entire argument for like, you know, the Facebook situation or like these other major social media platforms is if the product's free, then you are the product, but it all comes with the obligations that, you know, these data stewards have to adhere to. And I think there are is it was a time where it was kind of a free for all, but I do think people have a built in appreciation for these rules and regulations now that is driving good behaviors culturally from one company to the next. I, I, I don't think it's without its uh, potential that things are, you know, mi mis uh, misunderstood or misinterpreted once in a while. But I do see when we talk to companies that kind of their top priority is like, we want to do this the right way. I, I, I'm not hearing like, people like greedily sitting in the shadows saying, oh, we're going to sell all this, all Jimmy's private data. You know, like it, it's, it's really comes down to how do we do what we want to do that enable the business, like accelerate us and our partners and also keeps in mind, like, you know, what people really want this information to be shared for, which is ultimately to give them a better experience in most cases, especially from a, you know, e-commerce or a, you know, consumer retail type of experience perspective, or even a healthcare experience. Like I would rather be told, you know, Chris, because of where your, you know, health information was shared with this outside provider, we were able to discover the your propensity to have these health issues. And we'd like to help you get solutions to that. Like, that's not such a bad thing. Like it's the reason that your Apple watch is like, so informed about everything you're doing and helps you like identify potential times when I'm sitting on my butt too long and my office need to get up and go take a walk because you know that's information being shared amongst many parties that have written algorithms for these things and you have like brick and mortar examples too um just adding to what chris is talking about where you know you can actually lower the cost of products um in some cases like grocery stores can lower the cost of products to end users because they're able to subsidize some of that with um with data sales you know, and so, yes, you're involved in a rewards program and some of your spending behaviors on an aggregate level are being shared back to some of the vendors. But that means that I can now sell you products for less. Um, so uh, there's some really interesting uh, use cases out there. Uh, I think Kroger is like one of the one of the leading to implement that. But it's it's a really interesting model and it's not bad. It's a very positive thing. I, I think I'm 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 a little more pessimistic about it just just because I I keep seeing the companies trying to do uh, trying to monetize people instead of 
uh, you know, d- doing some some shadier things. But I think a lot of what you're you're talking about here, though, is doing this stuff right opens up possibilities. You kind of have to have the ethics <laughs> conversations in, internally in your companies, because if if not, then, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. But at the same point, the companies at the high level are are typically, you know, they're trying to drive revenue, they're trying to drive profit, but they're not they're not trying to do things in a bad way. It's just we have to educate our people on what is okay and what is not and make sure that everybody's kind of aware of that and, and that because hey, this could drive incremental revenue. Okay, but you know, we're you know, you look at like these um companies that sell um you know dissidents information or things like that um from social media that collect all this and try and hack into people's phones and do this stuff like you know that's data that's very very valuable to despots and things like that but that's not the typical company right <laughs> your kroger is no, not that's, that's uh, data being scraped that's data being scraped uh, inappropriately from sites that are actively trying to stop them from doing that and you know, a lot of this information is being like exploited from old hacks and old uh, data breaches that have been aggregated multiple times with other data breaches over the course of years. And, you know, there's a there's already a lot of that out there, um, so much so that I think people don't even have to try hard to get access to that information. You just look at your own uh, many times you've been involved in a data breach with your own identity. You'll know it's like between, you know. 15 to 20 times. And, you know, it, even if you're just like a pedestrian user of the internet, like you don't have to do much to get wrapped up in that type of data aggregation. And those companies, the individuals and bad actors that do that stuff are doing it at a scale that's almost as big as Experian or Equifax and these other major broker, uh, credit bureaus and, and data aggregators. So I, I think using that as like the only example we point to is like all the badness that comes from that is the limiting a view on kind of the stuff Lauren was talking about, which is the flip side of that. There is exceptional good coming from the flow of information, a flow of aggregate information, analytics, you know, uh, high level macro trends at a geographic or industry or population segment level that are informing decisions from other companies that are providing things or government entities that are providing things that are benefiting people. Yeah. We've, we've had some governmental things on and I'm, I'm, you know, coming from the U.S. and I moved to Europe specifically because I think the U.S. has a lot of things that are quite broken. But um, the the governments here are really, really, really focused on as much as they can providing services and staying within the bounds. And sometimes those bounds are too tight. They really do prevent people from, hey, we could do this great training program, but we have to get like, you know, the permission to share it with these 17 different entities and every single one has to be incremental, single. And so if any of those aren't shared with, then we can't do that. So I, I do I do agree with you that there are, there are positives to come out of it. But, you know, we're, we're really, we're rarely aware of those positives on the day to day. We only see those negatives, you know, when you get the email from have I been pwned, you know, like, you know. That that you're you've been uh, your information is in yet another data hack. So, um, so I know we wanted to be aware of time and and everything. So I I wanted to kind of wrap up or around the idea of 
say somebody is saying, okay, I, you know, yes, they should come to you potentially if they, if they want to start to look at this. But like, do you have any initial steps for people to to think about when they're starting to consider what data do I really have? Like, how how do those conversations start to germinate internally? Is it just somebody's willing to go, I'm going to open up what information I have and I'm going to share with you, not the data, but I'm going to share with you about what data I have and then we can have that conversation. Like, how do you think that that, that starts to really work inside companies? And, you know, I'm not asking, you know, what's the exact formula, but how do you think about those starting to, if anybody out there is inspired by what you're talking about? That's a difficult question because it's not the same for every company. Some companies naturally are a better fit for starting their data journey um, just based on the foundation of the company, maybe the executives, the board structure. Um, and so I don't know if it's like a straightforward answer. I can. What happens with us is we have companies that come to us that are interested in in borrowing on data assets, right? And so they're like, oh, well, there must be value here. Maybe I don't know what the value is, but this company will. And maybe I can access some capital. Um, so we have those. And that's I'm not sure exactly what their decision process look like, except uh, we need capital and we need to leverage the assets that we have. Um, and then you have the other side, which are large organizations usually coming through our consulting firms, our partners um, in the consulting and accounting space. And they usually need to know the number because they're making decisions. Uh, they're making decisions about buying or selling a business or their business. Uh, they're making decisions about raising capital, going public, or um, embarking on on a monetization journey externally, uh, usually. A lot of them already have internal use cases. Um, and so I'm not inside the the executive rooms, but it's usually they need to answer a question is what sparks their interest. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe the, the, the what is the question you're trying to answer and, and how do you start inventorying the assets you have to be able to put together the inputs and variables that are required to answer it. And I think most organizations that it could actually even inventory data, start building a data dictionary, some sort of like lay of the land are already further along than folks that have just like started piling up random silos everywhere and, and haven't figured out a way to extract anything from them. So yeah, I I think most of this starts from like just assessing at an asset inventory level what you have and, and building from that. But again, it comes back to the problems of we talked about earlier, which are you have to have an end goal in mind. It can't just be like just for data's sake. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I talk about this a lot of uh, data work for the sake of data work and, you know, focusing too much on the ones and zeros instead of what are you actually trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? So. We've, we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff around this topic. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to, or any way you want to wrap up kind of the content of the the episode? We covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of folks that would love to to kind of follow up with you. What's what's the best place or, or what to do? You know, I mean, we didn't talk a ton about exactly what you do, so feel free to kind of talk about that as well as to exactly what what gulp is is doing and how you might be able to help people and how they could uh follow up with you it's just the time for the infomercial yes <laughs> okay i'm just kidding yeah gulp uh emerged as a um as a data lender um 
in 2022, we started operating, uh, collecting enough information so we could begin quickly and effectively underwriting data in 2021. Uh, so we are, um, yeah, probably the first uh, data only uh, lender, meaning we actually extend capital to companies using data assets as collateral. Um, there are m multiple mechanisms behind that to allow us to value and underwrite the data quickly um, and and then escrow the data in the event of a loan. Uh, it's proven to be a very successful business model for us. Um, and we're working through now our own balance sheet, um, our, our own capital. Um, we also offer uh, data valuation services. So um, organically, we started having channel partners uh, like data infrastructure companies, cloud companies, consulting firms, and accounting firms come to us and say, hey, how do you do this? This is very complicated. Uh, we, it takes us you know, six months to, uh, to come up with a number, and it's not necessarily like the market value of those data assets. Um, and so we actually license our technology out to a number of firms and have been fortunate enough to work with some very large organizations um, via those relationships. Um, it's pretty extraordinary as, as a young company because we're still, um, you know, in our first 18 months of operations. Um, so that is what we do. The best way to get in touch with us is, Chris, did I forget anything that we do? That's what we do. Yeah. It's really like too many. <laughs> the best way to get in touch with us is to email swimwith at gold data. So swimwith. We'll drop that in the show notes as well. So, so folks can easily do that. And we'll drop your LinkedIn's as well. So people can follow up with you directly. But uh, again, uh, Lauren, Chris, thank you so much for spending the time here with me today. This is really fascinating as well. Thank you everyone out there for listening. Thanks for having us. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Lauren Cassio, Chief Fish Wrangler and Chris Enzi, CTO at Gulp Data. You can find the company email and a link to their LinkedIn's in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month -month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one -on -one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm -hmm.